Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is, she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of software engineering. Hi. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. So how do you feel about being on this podcast and opening up about your journey through STEM? Really excited. Um, I already engage in a community space regularly to try to encourage more young women to feel empowered to join and uh, participate in the field of STEM, you know, in any way. It's exciting that we have more opportunities now to be engaged in these fields. And we're seeing more and more women consider this as uh, something that's viable for them in their career path. And how has it been kind of rounding up women to participate in that? Uh, It's been challenging at times. I noticed that a lot of women are very shy about admitting that they have an interest in something like math. Um, I frequently talk about how much I love math and uh, how much it is a pinnacle to everything that we do. And I notice that a lot of women are very shy about uh, saying that they enjoy subjects like math and science and engineering and getting very nerdy in a not traditionally feminist way. Do you think that's where it comes from then, that those STEM subjects are not seen as being very feminine? I feel like that is part of it. Um, As a child, uh, you don't usually have those fields introduced to you as an option for something that you want to do. I was fortunate enough that I have a lot of men in my family and a lot of them are engineers. uh, So that was something that I had readily accessible to me but going to school it was very much a don't you want to be a veterinarian don't you want to be a nurse or a teacher or maybe you know the reaching as far as into a politician which I know is still making a lot of strides but it was never you know you love math why not be an engineer or that's something that you can do as a career field not just something you like as a personal hobby. Is that how your STEM journey started then? just knowing that you loved maths? Uh, I would say that it's it was partially that. And then I would say it was the good fortune of my uncles making me help them build things uh, and being allowed to help them rebuild cars and motorcycles and actually get hands-on with, you know, this is what you can use math to do. And understanding that that was a thing that somebody could spend the rest of their life doing is, you know, uh, actually doing the measurements and the design of something that can be built and put together in real life to accomplish something. How, how old were you when all of that kind of participation was happening? It's very small. I would probably say it's probably started somewhere around five or six because I had the smaller hands. Aww. It was very convenient at first. Um, and then there was a lot of education that came with it, uh, learning to do those tasks. So do you think that was what sparked your interest in STEM then? Yes, I would say that that definitely sparked my interest. It it was something I could do and something I was useful for and engaged with, and it felt real. So was there ever a time um, on your STEM journey where you kind of doubted whether this was the right path for you? I would say every two years it probably happens. <laughs> um there there are doubts that happen because it is challenging to be involved in these fields where you might be one woman out of a group of 20 and you know you might not be interacting with 
anyone that you see who's done it before you. Mm. And when you hit those hard times, you wonder, you know, like, am I actually good at this? Um, or maybe should I be trying something else? And you don't really have a somebody who's gone ahead and succeeded to look at and say like, yes, you can do this. So it, it does get challenging and I do have regular times of questioning myself. Yeah, because um, when I was researching for uh, a speech I gave at the UN about women and girls in science, it turned out that research had found that around the age of 10, girls who were really keen on STEM subjects suddenly became quite self-conscious. And so they did not enjoy STEM subjects as much but it doesn't sound like that happened to you I I wouldn't say that uh I had deviations in my career path I didn't realize I loved math and engineering and then just go for it um there was a lot of curves in that path so I I would say that around that time period around the 10 to 12 13 uh I didn't move away from doing anything with engineering and math in particular uh, and focused more on writing. I thought that I was going to be a writer because everyone said I wrote very well uh, and straight away from that uh, because it was, you're good at this, you should do this. This is where you're strongest. And even though I was very good at math, uh, it wasn't something that was seen as what I could do with a career. In fact, I remember uh, someone telling me that, well, you're good at this now, but the boys are going to become better than you in the future. And so this won't make sense long term. Wow. We need to figure out something else to do. Was that a male or female who said that? Uh, that was actually my dad. <laughs> oh, okay. Gosh, that's so interesting that, yeah, because I've heard that before, I have to say that you may be good at it now, but you are going to be overcome with the brilliance of boys later on. Exactly. They will outstride you in the end because they have a natural aptitude for these kinds of things. So why not, especially during this period in time where you're starting to get the questions of what do you want to do with your life? You know, you, you're going to be entering high school. So now you need to start thinking about how you're going to position yourself for colleges and, you know, what will be your life plan and something that you know you're being told that 10 years from now or even something as short as four years from now you're not going to be very successful doing doesn't seem worth mm. the investment as you're trying to gosh that's amazing well clearly it didn't stop you going into software engineering but what effect did it have on you uh it has made my career path very curvy jumbled if you will um, and I have to now invest a lot more time in proving myself uh, to show that I actually know what I do know. So I ended up going to university for uh, political communication, specializing in aerospace and aviation engineering. And so my degree is actually a bachelor's of arts. And people like to categorize it in the communications field because it has communications in the title. In reality, it's a strategic communications degree that is most often used in things like uh, large-scale procurement efforts for organizations like NASA, like DARPA, those kinds of items. So I had to take um, aerospace classes. I had to take advanced mathematics, uh, a lot of statistics to figure out, you know, uh, risk and likelihood of, you know, fail-safe procedures and all these other items. Uh, ended up working on some very large-scale government contracting bids uh, to do particularly their testing plan. So taking my good writing skills along with the passion that I had for math and engineering and put it into something that was good for technical documentation and acceptance test writing. Um, but still, even now, as I'm going up for promotions, it's a, but you don't have a science degree but you don't have a hard science degree. You're a communications major. Wow. Do you have regrets that you didn't go down the science route then? I do. I really do. I did all of these scientific classes and I feel like if I had just stayed at university one more year, I could have done a dual degree and I should have done that. Or I, I should have just gone for what I, what I really wanted to do was just a mathematics degree. Um, 
and that would have been so much better off. Now, instead, I'm looking at how do I do a nighttime master's course in something like integrated electrical engineering uh, in order to prove that I have this capability because even though I've, I've built in front of them a, a test mule uh, for a, an autonomous system that we were working on, uh, and I've, they've seen me actually do uh, assemblies of PCBs and all this other stuff, it still comes down to, but nobody has it written for you on paper. Mm. I physically built them a robot and somehow that's not good enough to prove that I know what I'm doing. Well, the reassuring thing about hearing you is that you still have the passion for STEM, whether you have that piece of paper or not. It sounds as though it can't be muted. Yeah, it's going to pop out some, it's popping out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so why do you uh, consider yourself to be a software engineer? I regularly am involved with um, software coding um, I have to work with training uh, new engineers, making sure that we're following proper process. So I'm getting into the architecture, making sure that we're up to stuff in terms of our DevOps practice. Um, and I spend most of my time focusing on that part of product development. Um, and then, of course, I, I always get on the, the other side and do our, our pet projects internally and so we'll do things like build a donkey car so that we can test how we're doing autonomous uh, driving programming. Um, and we'll do uh, a bunch of other items with, you know, how do we how do we do the back end of these video games and, you know, how do we structure them? So a lot less of the, the flashy front end design side, which I know is very trendy, um, but the actual architecture and, you know, how do you pass variables and do all do the computations to have, you know, if this, then what? And how, how much the degree of certainty that I have to have of the if, what is this? And how, what does my confidence interval have to be to define what that action has to be for that other outcome? And this is where you see all the math coming out and me getting nerdy, but that's the part of it I love. And that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And especially now as I train younger engineers on how to think through problems and break down problem statements into mathematic equations. Um, it's, it's keeping me sane and keeping me in software engineering. Mm, and keeping you technical, it sounds like. Yes, I do love that. Um, I am fortunate enough to be in a place where I can express the interest that I have. And it's not a pat pat on the head. That's cute, but we don't want to do that. They do give me avenues and say, okay, let's figure out how we can do this with a business case that makes sense so that we can get behind it. Um, and so we have those discussions and I can stay involved and stay sharp uh, despite moving up the management chain. It almost sounds like you created this job for yourself, you know, in the sense that it, it really needs all of your diverse skills. I would say that that is true. I definitely took a role, saw its opportunities discussed those uh, with the people who were leading the team when I was interviewing about, I see these opportunities. Are these things that you are interested in? And of course, you know, you do the whole game where you throw in a couple things that you don't actually want to do to see if they're just trying to say yes to get somebody hired or if they're actually interested. And I have morphed this role into what I want it mm. to be. It is definitely architected to resemble a junior level uh, version of what's called a technical product manager, which is not something that was ever on my radar when I was younger, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But now that that role exists and is starting to become more of a well-known role that exists in multiple places, the avenues are more there to architect roles into getting ready to be a technical product manager. And, you know, given all the things you've described in your job, do you think a man could do your job as well as you could? I would say that anybody who had the same passion and skill set and drive could do my job as well as me. I've had the good fortune in working with a lot of male, like working with a lot of male engineers who have been 
as supportive, if not more supportive of me and my career development than some of my female peers. Oh, interesting. Being in software engineering particularly is that there are so few female engineers that sometimes we get in this habit of thinking of each other as competition rather than ourselves as our own competition for progress. Yeah, that's so interesting. And how how has that been? I've had to actively work on it this year um, to not kind of dread working with other female software engineers because I, I realize that's not helping me and that's not helping each other, keeping that in the back of my head. When I was first starting out, um, it was not quite so many years ago, but at the same time, it was still when women in software engineering were much more QA analysts. They were not QA engineers and they were project managers. They were not product managers. They were on the skirts of the actual engineering. So being a woman who was working and actually programming herself, uh, if you ran across other women, it was much more of a hostile engagement. It was a, you know, why do you think you deserve to be here? And I've worked so hard to get here. And, you know, you should be working as hard and you're not going to make it. Um, This is really difficult to do. You know, I don't think you're cut out for it because they had to work so much harder than I did to get to where they were. So the path is a little bit easier for me coming in, I think. Uh, I'll say I, I started actually not wanting to work with other female software engineers because it was just so difficult to have them treat me as a peer and somebody to just talk to. Yeah, I mean, this is mind-blowing because it may be that it's not men that keep women out, it's women. I think that we have a tendency as as women to, to have this view of if somebody else is trying to do the same thing as us, that will keep us from being able to do it. That we are somehow, you know, trying to fit through this uh, idea of, you know, there's only space for one person instead of there's space for everyone who is qualified and stop viewing each other as this competition. Um, I wouldn't say it's the only reason I've definitely had some, I would use the term atrocious, male bosses who didn't believe that women had a place in engineering uh but we're not helping each other by how hostile we can be to other women in our our own engineering space so over the years that you've been in your industry have you seen that change and relax with the introduction of like girls who code and things like that absolutely it has been I would say the organization that I saw have the biggest impact in changing that discourse um, is actually Black Girls Who Code, because it's for women of color and those who identify as women. So it was much more of a the first real, we're making a hard stroke at even open, honest discussion for everyone who identifies as a woman. When Girls Who Code first came out, it was great. But if you look back at the original photos, it's a lot of affluent white girls and women who have had a history in um, IT infrastructure, like from back in the early 90s. So it was still like this slow progress. Black Girls Who Code came in and said, no, if you're Latinx, if you are African-American, if you identify as women, you're transgender, you're in the process, I don't care. You have a space here and you have a space at this table. And we will accept everyone. And that seriously changed how we all talk to each other. So what's the working environment like as a result of that? I would say that the women that I engage with on a day-to-day basis, um, we, we reach out to each other and make that proactive connection of, hey, we're one of two women in this room that's like 35 people. Um, do you want to get coffee? Do you want to see how each other is doing? Do you just want to be friends and have an ear? And that had not happened before. I would also say that I'm much less aware of the differences between us where it's like, 
where it's like, oh, well, you know, you come from mechanical engineering and you're an electrical engineer and I only want to talk to other female software engineers. Like, no, we're all engineers. We're all working on this project together and we should all work well together. Uh, And us doing that as a, like a women's group, I'm seeing a lot less friction from my peer uh, male colleagues. So other male engineers who hold about the same rank as I, uh, it's, I'm, I don't feel the same friction that I used to. When you said that things have changed and just got a lot more chill, basically, um, I just felt so happy that, you know, women are now trying to support each other. But are you saying that because women are now, they embrace each other's kind of way into software and software engineering it's allowing male counterparts to also relax and chill yes with the teams that they're in be it male female or anything else i i absolutely see that uh i noticed it happening very sequentially where women started to engage with each other and be more positive with each other and create that network of support and we as a group of women started to relax and then the male counterparts just started to relax and I'm not sure if it's now that there's more of us and we all work well together and so there's less of this like friction of one person that they don't Mm -hmm. know how to engage with or um you know this turn this tide if you will that's that's changing um but with us being more relaxed and just we're here, we're confident, we've earned our place here and we're not infighting. The male counterparts have since said, okay, yeah, you have, you've earned your place here and I'm not going to think of you any differently, which is fantastic. But I'd say that's mostly about peers. I would not say that that's a hundred percent the rule with, leadership and administration but with peers it's definitely been an improvement that's so reassuring but then in terms of leadership do you still think there's like a stratification I do because I don't see as many women leaders in engineering there are some great great titans that are out there Um, one that I particularly love to follow is uh, Minette Norman from Autodesk. She's a VP of engineering over there. Uh, but on a regular, you know, day-to-day level, you don't see as many directors of engineering, VP of engineering that are female. Um, you don't see as many discipline leads for engineering groups that are female. Even if the, you know, the team is lucky enough to be like a third or even a half women the leader is still usually male. Mm. And so I don't think that within their peer group, there's enough women yet. And I think we have to fix that first and then that will help change the tide at that level. Yeah. It is amazing how impactful uh, role models are. Literally, if you don't see it, you don't feel you can be it. (laughs) I would absolutely agree for myself. Uh, as I was starting out, I, I didn't really see what I was going to be doing next. You know, I, I made the hard switch and I said, okay, you know, I'm actually going to do hands-on programming. Let me move over here, see how I can do this. And I had a really hard time at first understanding, you know, what my role was and did I have enough knowledge or perspective? One of my friends had recently gone to one of these uh, women empowerment summer camps that have been very trendy this past summer, and she absolutely loved it. And she came back with a phrase that I thought was very true, um, and I think directly relates to having female role models. She says, as women, we are taught to serve, not that we deserve something. And I thought that laddered back directly to how I felt about the leadership positions that I have taken Because the first thing that I think about before I go to say, you know, I want this promotion or I want this role, even if it's not like a pay grade or anything else, but I want to take this leadership title, you know, like be the steward of DevOps, which is one of the ones that I have right now. And I say, okay, 
do I, do I have the experience? Do I have enough knowledge? Do I have enough years? If I put this in a job description, do I think that I would meet the qualifications when I don't think our male peers think about that at all? They just think I'm good at this. I want to do it. And they raise their hand. Um, And so it's been helping me break out of the mindset too. When I think about that phrase of, you know, you don't have to serve, you can deserve something. You can have earned your place and just go for it. That's such a powerful quote. I mean, not just on a professional level, but also kind of with relationships. Um, and, 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 you know, just this uh, subconscious mentality that we have as women that we have to earn uh, what we have, um, which I don't think men tend to do. It definitely doesn't come up in conversations with them, so I don't mm. think they do either. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting that uh, at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about kind of wanting to go back and get a master's in something more mathematical um, purely because of that, like you feel like you need to earn your place, but yet you're doing such incredible work where I'm sure, you know, a mathematical based masters wouldn't really move the needle too much at work or maybe it would, I don't know. I really don't think it would. Um, The issue that I'm running into with my career at this point is that once I am in a place and I've been there for a while, people can see what I can do and they feel confident in my skill set. But it takes that larger investment of time and having to prove it out. Because you raise your hand, or just for example, you know, I raise my hand and say, I want to be the steward of this DevOps practice. We don't have one uh, currently, but we need to be doing this as a more uh, shepherded approach to how we implement dev operations within our um, within our structure because we're just we're not doing everything that we should be and we're falling behind the curve and in doing that the idea is entertained with okay but why why you is the immediate question back it's from leadership I say well I know this this and this and I've had experiences here and I have a passion for this you know I now taking my technical writing ability with my you know uh leadership role within the agile practice area and we're pulling them all in together into something that makes sense and you have a gap that no one is stepping up for so just give it to me and it's still coming back that I have to reassert my skill set so that continuously happens when I'm going up to leadership saying I am ready for a promotion or I am ready for this and I've I'm getting much better. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good now, but I, there's always room for improvement in raising my hand and saying, I want this and this is what I should be doing. And this is how you can best leverage my skill set. But when leadership comes in, it's still very much a conversation of you don't have this piece of paper and I'm getting very tired of always having to prove myself to leadership. I kind of feel like I'm on the opposite side of the fence because I have those pieces of paper, but what I don't have is uh, the confidence and assertiveness to have gained experience in something I'm passionate about and seen opportunities and um, areas of improvement within business as a result of my experience. Just listening to you, potentially, maybe going back and doing a master's, I just think, that what you have is so much more valuable. I mean, clearly you're mathematical and you do, you have that natural ability. And it just amazes me that, that you don't um, believe that about yourself and that you have to sort of like go back to school to prove it to yourself and others. The reason why I bring it up is because I wonder if a man would be like, listen, I don't need a master's. I'm telling you, this is the way that the business, this is the direction that the business needs to go in. And I am the person to help you with that. And they would just be so assertive and confident about it. And they'd get that role. Whereas you being female, I wonder if um, what's happening here is that self-doubt that really uh, holds us back. 
It could be. It definitely could be. I'm not not perfect in my self-doubt. I definitely hear it in my head, though I try not to say it out loud as much. I also wonder if the, the male in your scenario would get the same question back that I get. Yeah. Well, what, why you? Like, that's the always the first mm-hmm. question back. And I don't know if they would get that. Yeah. I honestly can say, looking back on my education, because I really believed I needed those pieces of paper to uh, prove to people uh, what I was capable of doing. But what I really regret is not exercising the muscle of self-confidence and self-belief. Um, and I, I still don't have that today. Uh, which is why I'm just focusing on this area of the conversation because I just believe that um, you're like you're on the brink of being able to give that to yourself. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking through what you're saying. I, th- I think part of it is the self confidence portion. I think. I also think that part of it is, um, and this may just be maybe this conversation will give me the refuel to to dive back into this. I am very tired of fighting all the time. And, and that is definitely an admission of weakness here. And I acknowledge that, but to constantly be fighting of, no, I can do this. No, I know how to do this. No, that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not the best way of going about this or yes, I should be part of this conversation. It's, it's a consistent item to be not only the, the voice of your engineering team, which in my current role, being an engineering team leader, I have to, I have to advocate for my team to advocate for their skill development. I have to advocate for our technology that, you know, we need to be moving forward and we need to be doing experimentation and trying new stacks that are coming out and new releases and new ways of doing integration so we can have a better product at the end of the day. And then I need to advocate for all the people underneath me, including three women who want to move up. And I do take a vested interest in what they want out of their careers. Um, and try to make sure that they have the skills and opportunities to move themselves up in what they want for themselves, not what other people are telling them that they are good at, because that I realize is a a larger systemic issue, um, regardless of field for women. And then at the, then the last person on my list, and I think this is probably where a lot of women may also be feeling too, is then I want to have some things for myself I'm spending all this time on my team and my product and everyone that I want to help. And I had to have a conversation with my boss this past week where I said, this is selfish. And this is probably where the confidence thing is. I shouldn't have started with that. I said, but I want this and I think I'm good at it. And I don't understand why we're not having this conversation. Mm. And what was the reaction? Uh, A little taken aback. (laughs) First off. Uh, and he said, yes, I, I do think you're right for it, but um, why is this coming to a head right now? And I said, we've been talking about this for three months and it's not going anywhere and I'm missing opportunities because I'm not in this role. And we had an honest conversation for about an hour and he agreed that the current title that I have does not fit the role as it has become and I've made it into. Uh, And we will hopefully be making that switch before the end of the year when before it was timeline TBD. Yes. Yay. (laughs) That's so awesome though. I mean, congratulations and well, well done for having the courage to speak up. I mean, I, I really do. I think I, I really resonate with your exhaustion and I'm sure women listening to this would really relate to how tiring it is to keep fighting for what we want but I mean you know it's also just so amazing to hear you getting what you want as a result of that fight it re-energizes you a bit it definitely makes fighting something that you can take on again 
but I think, I think we're all very tired. Um, I would say that uh, this, this tendency to be more vocal, and I would say that the practice of being vocal about myself came in part from uh, helping organize events for Black Girls Who Code, uh, as well as one of my uncles who did take a vested interest in my career. And he was always very harsh with me, but the constant question of why not? He would just look at me straight in the face and when I said, well, I can't do this or I'm not sure about this, why not? And the, the kind of fear <laughs> of having somebody like that aggressive with you um, yeah, definitely made me rethink how I'm thinking about it. It's just it's like, I don't understand why not. You are part of this family and you have this skill set and he didn't treat me any differently. And it's, it's been the push, I think, to start being more vocal and then seeing the progress and it's, it's helped. Yeah. I mean, to, I just feel so inspired by you voicing up basically being heard being seen being recognized for what you genuinely believe in um but how important has encouragement and support been in helping you develop that side of you i would say i haven't gotten a ton of encouragement or support coming out of it it's it's been um much more of the need for me to do this. So there's been some, it, the support has been available uh, at times. I think when I've really hit my lowest points of, I don't know why I'm, why I'm doing this anymore. Like there are so many other career paths that I could just do a 40 hour work week, get paid a decent paycheck and just check out at the end of the day and not worry about it. Um, But I would say that the, the need, the, this will not happen unless you do this. There is no, there is no plan B. There is no alternative route. There is no, well, if I do well enough, somebody will notice. No, nobody notices. Nobody looks outside usually of what they're doing on a general basis. You have to be vocal or this will not happen. Mm. And that's been the, the largest driving force. Um, I do think that if we are more supportive of each other and more encouraging of each other, more women will be more vocal. Mm. Uh, And I say this because I I like to mentor younger women in uh, STEM because I think it's important to be the role model that I didn't have because that was something I always really missed. And from the thank you letters when they get programming jobs that they didn't think that they could get or made the career switches or, you know, just got that little bit of push uh, that they needed in order to ask for the promotion or to say that they um, deserved their title switch or just whatever it was they were looking for. Um, I know it's, it's meant a lot to a lot of women. It just hasn't been a large part of my story. Clearly, you were very strong at maths. You ended up doing a degree that wasn't quite along those lines. And now you're doing a job that's very technical. You know, what has been driving you all throughout? What keeps you going through the fight? I mean, what is this ultimately all for? I love robots. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really the thing. Um, And I say I love robots in that I'm, I'm thinking very agnostic of your robotics format. If it is a physical robot, if it is a, um, autonomous, uh, a AI system, excuse me, an AI system, or if it's, you know, any kind of, you know, articulation within a computer system, I'm just thinking of a very benign system of robots. I love them. <laughs> I think they're amazing. I think that they will help make a better world in the end. And I have been in that place where I realized I wasn't doing anything that I loved. At some point in my career, I somehow managed to become a um, event manager. 
I really don't even remember how that ended up happening because it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, and I was making very good money uh, and had pretty great benefits. And I hated my job. And I am so very much attached to my idea of value within the world being the the product that I deliver to the world. Like what I contribute to society is a direct reflection of my value as an existence. Mm. Uh, and I would not advocate that for anyone else because that is a very rough line to walk, but that is true for me. And being in that place and hating everything and feeling like I was not adding anything to the world, I had to reset and said, I can't do this. I can't be this person for everybody else and nothing for me. There is, I am not doing anything in reality for the world by following this path. And how long did you stick at doing that? I was nine months. I had probably that, that moment was about six months in. And then at that point, I had a moment of clarity where I sat on a floor with a bunch of colorful post-it notes and just started trying to write things that I knew to be true about myself and my life and got back to I love robots and it it just comes down to I love robots that's all I want to do is just make robots and you can put me through anything basically (laughs) to give me this but you can build a robot and I will be still fine because I love robots (laughs) that's so awesome and would you say that you're doing what you love now yes Uh, I want to be getting better at it and doing more of it and getting rid of more of the things that I don't care about doing but I think that's true at any stage in our life can you take me through that process of the post-it notes because I think a lot of women well Men and women go through a bit of a kind of, what am I doing with my life moment? So, you know, what what was that process for you? Uh, so um, I will admit there was a lot of hard liquor involved too. <laughs> it was a rough <laughs> night. Um, but I, had, I first off started trying to redo my CV and then I, I couldn't figure out like what bullet points to write. So this basically devolved into um, if you're ever used to a UX facts finding session where they take the all the scripts from every all the testing sessions that have done and all the analytics and you basically cut them up and then people take them and take the most important things that they see as being the learnings from that session and they write them on colorful usually pieces of paper and stick them to the wall i basically went down to that level to try to rebase against something Mm -hmm. so i started just writing really high level stuff. And I ended up throwing a lot of those away because you end up writing things like, you know, I want to be financially secure. And I was like, crumple up, throw that away. It's like, obviously that's a given. I don't need to say that. <laughs> like it's, that's like saying, I want a product that works. Don't care. That's not important. Uh, until I started writing things like, um, I view the world in terms of mathematical equations. Like that is a true s- statement about how I view like existence of society point done okay um i know myself to be very uh much a how person when you think of the why how what people i'm very much like a high level how person but i'm not a why person so done point that and it just kept going to i got to these things that were very fundamental to who i am as a unique value and product in the world and how I view the world and that allowed me to reassess my priorities. And then I, when I started thinking through all that, I thought consistently over the things that I loved. And when I started stripping away all of the, the wrappers around the way you think about things. And I started thinking about, well, I love websites and electronics and I love cars and motorcycles and I take all that away. Okay. I love engineering products okay well that's pretty wide it's like i love creating the infrastructure that allows engineering products to happen you know i don't need to do and design everything myself i don't have that need of ownership on the product but i do want to know and architect it 
And it's like, I want to build something. And then it came down to, I want to build robots. And then it went to, I love robots. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's the, the fundamental truth I always come back to is, I love robots. Um, so then did you try to fit a company that was doing what interested you and fitted your skill set and passions um, and then apply for work there? Or? Uh, no, I went about it a little bit differently. So knowing what I knew to be true about me, um, I started just looking at very much just pouring through LinkedIn's um, job boards and just looking at, I just said anything in engineering and trying to just see like what are careers out there that people have, that people do, uh, and try to do it based on the role rather than the company first. Uh, just because companies can have a multitude of different products that you didn't always think of. Um, you could have, you know, one idealistic company that you would love to work for. You know, for me, that's that's Google. Um, but there's so many different aspects of that. I mean, do you want to work on search, which is like one kind of robot? Do you want to work at Waymo, which is like the very much hot right now robot? I tried to more focus on what is that role? What does that role look like? Um, and then started reaching out to a bunch of people saying, you know, hey, I'm interested in how you got to where you are. Can you give me some feedback? Um, and I dove heavily into the meetup scene uh, heavily into uh, like, you know, just women in engineering scene. And that was still very much when it was siloed where, you know, you had to join a women's software engineer group versus a, um, you know, electrical engineers, women's group. And so that was really hard. I got more out of talking to people on LinkedIn about how did you get here? What do you love about your job? Because it's very benign for them. It's not you asking for a job. It's not you asking to be part of their company. It's a, I think I want to do what you do, but I'm not sure. Can you help me figure this out? And then I reworked my CV based on all that information and just started looking for jobs. And anyone who would give me an opportunity, I was like, I will show them that I was worth it. I will prove it. And then if I need to move on, I will move on. I will not be attached to any of these presuppositions about you know, you need to stay in a place for a long period of time. You need to follow this designated career path. I was like, I need to do what's right for me and I need to look out for me now. So as much as they invest in me, I will invest right back. Mm. But if that relationship ends, then I move on and no harm, no foul. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what an amazing process to go through. And it sounds like it was fundamental to getting to know yourself it absolutely was um I also think it's been going through that process myself has been very informative in how I view and interact with other people having done it myself and realizing you know what what is basically window dressing and what is core to a person mm. it's allowed me to interact with people uh, and not have the same kind of friction that I see other people engaging with where they can't distinguish, do you like that person or do you like working with that person? Because those are two different relationships. And mm. do you need to work well with that person or do you need that person to like you? Because it's a different kind of engagement. Yeah, it's so much more authentic if you can just be truly confident in knowing who you are and what your uh, interests are and your goals are. There's no agenda then when you're dealing with others because you just you're very you're very sure and confident about what it is that you can give and um, contribute to the world. And people respond to that; they appreciate the authenticity. Not a lot of people are that degree of authentic. And so being that kind of person, people will gravitate to you and they want to help. Um, they want to join up with you basically and join forces because they know exactly what they're buying in for. Um, and then I think it also relates back to, you know, much earlier question about, you know, this being vocal about what you want. If you have like one true rail and everything else can flex, you know, city can change, relationships can change, nothing that you want that much 
tumultuous, you know, change in your life consistently, but you have this one thing that you know to be true. It's very, it's much easier to say, I want this and this is the thing I need. And these are the things that I want. Ah, gosh, I just feel so, I feel like I want to get a bunch of colored post-it notes. (laughs) because I I just really relate to the process but my my process was kind of spider diagrams and like in the center was me in big capitals Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it was like arrows like I love this I love that I do this I do that but um I think you know really following the process through to a point where you really um start to have a very intimate relationship with who you are is seems to be key in the process that you went through. Yes, I would say so. And I wish, I wish I would have gone through that process much earlier in my life. And I think I would have lost less time and struggle, but I can't do anything about that now. I mean, why didn't you, do you think, just looking back? I would say a lot of that had to do with confidence um, and opportunity as I saw it, which opportunity, of course, is related to your confidence. Um, Mm. So while my uncles were very supportive of me following a passion of mathematics, uh, my father was not. And that created a lot of challenges for me to be able to just do something as simple as apply to college. Um, right. I, I had opportunities actually to, um, leave high school and go to college early and it required parental permission because I wasn't 18 and I wasn't allowed to do it because he didn't think that that was a good career choice for me. God. So there, when you have that level of control on your life, Mm. it changes the way you view the world because this is all you can see. And I understand that like that, that is very much partially a cultural thing. Um, you know, second generation American, we're still very much, um, you know, from the homeland where like the father makes the decisions for the family and architects that path. And you do not deviate from that. Um, so it, took me being in college, honestly, for a while before I started to get exposed to these ideas of like real true rebellion against your parents. Um, And, you know, what can you do with that? So that's how I ended up morphing my degree because I was trying to get as close to engineering as possible (laughs) while still being allowed to go to school. So I did a lot of these like extra classes where I just like took math classes for fun and didn't tell him like would work a side job to pay for the extra credits. Um, But then you encounter society that says, oh, but wait, you you're very talented in this area. We think you should do this. And it's like, but I don't I don't really like that. I don't want to do that. but those are the people who want to give you jobs and you need to pay for things and you need to be self-sufficient. Um, I, I do not come from a culture where, you know, the whole like gap year or finding yourself is really a permitted exercise. Um, yeah. It seems to have been such a profound exercise for you. It is so valuable. I don't think you need to take six months off and go hiking through the desert to do this. I did it in a night and probably a bottle of vodka um, and, you know, a a good ream of post-it notes. But that got me close enough where I had something to execute on. And I switched from being um, an events manager to getting back into at least web development front-end web developer, but still, I made a switch and I got back onto something that was going to introduce me to the places and the people that I needed to. Yeah, drastic switch. Um, I just, I really feel like you deserve everything you want in your career. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just really want 
want the best for you um, after hearing your story. So in terms of like looking to the future, I ask this in every episode, but what does having it all mean to you? And, you know, how close are you to, to getting that? Uh, well, I have a plan. I'm almost there. I'm not there. I'm about two career moves and three years away from, I think, having it all. Always delivering better product uh, will will forever be my torch. But I'm not one of those people who wants to move up the management chain and make more money and work less hours for you know the car and the house and the it, it doesn't mean anything for me. It what is validating is turning it on and it works right like you designed. So that's the validate. So in terms of the phrase having it all, um, is is career success enough? Because for some women, having it all means you know really living as a whole woman. You know, family, personal life, that kind of stuff. Like. Do you have, does having it all encompass that? What I need to work on and what I need to focus on is this career achievement. I'm not a person who is set on having children or being married, but I do want to have a rich and full social life. Uh, But I also see my work introducing me to a lot of that being a a very strange uh, social introvert where I love to be around people just so I can go home at night and not be around anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I relate. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who can relate with that one, but it's, that's all part of being this TPM position because all of those things ladder up into something that I can measure. It's hard to measure the the quality of your friendships Um because there's not like a there's not like a metric or a rubric that you can do that with and as you change throughout life how what actions people would do change like when you're younger it's oh I know my friends would help me move and then as you get older it's a I know I can call them at 2 a.m because you know this critical thing happened even though I know maybe they have a child or some it it changes too much amorphously for me to measure that and see this where we get back to my view my entire life in mathematical equations. I'm like, I have no way of measuring that. So I'm just disregarding that. Too many variables. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, nope, too much done. (laughs) One last question. I am busting to know what your dad thinks of you today in terms of what you've achieved and where you're at with your career. Uh, He and I actually don't talk anymore. Um, The last time I talked to him, uh, he was just, he basically said, i it'll happen. It might not have happened when I thought it was going to happen, but it'll happen. Um, and then, you know, you'll get married and have kids and then that you'll be done and that'll be it. So mm. I, I would say that I would say that the experience of dealing with my father and despite success, mm. if we think about it in the societal reach and even most people would consider me, I think, successful. I mean, I have a stable relationship that is, you know, committed and caring and I have a good apartment and a good job and all these other things. Um, he will never be proud of me. And I've had to make peace with that. And I think that has been the ultimate test of the whole idea of I need to do things that are right for me. And sometimes that means giving up other things like staying at a job for three years is a milestone I've yet to hit, but it has proved beneficial. I've left places on good terms because I say, this is what I want out of my career. Can you fulfill that? No. Okay. This will be a peaceful splitting of ways. I maintain all my friendships. You just know how to do it with grace. Then he was the biggest test of that. I would love if that is more of a thing in the future where dads realize how important what they do and what they say ha- like has an effect on us. Um, and not just, not just with their boys, because I feel like that's where everyone talks about right now is, you know, Oh yeah. You know, fathers and sons. I'm like, no father, fathers and daughters are, are pretty, pretty important. I mean, it's the first man that you're, 
fall in love with. It, it kind of sets the pattern for all romantic relationships after that. I believe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know what? It really does boil down to getting to know yourself because I think once you really do believe that you're a worthwhile human being and that you've got a lot to contribute to the world, then you can be with whatever type of person um, and it can bounce off you differently compared to if you're hoping that that person will make you feel valid in the world. Yeah, you absolutely cannot be waiting for somebody else to tell you that you have validation. I I hope that most women can get to a place of just inherently believing that they have value because they exist. Me being a person in love of math, I need a way of measuring that. So it always has to do with what I can do and like what I have done for the world. But at least that's something entirely within my control. Like it's not somebody else. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like something that, um, would not have been without pain but the best thing that has come out of a very fundamental relationship I mean you know daughters and their fathers I mean it's that's a profound one um but what's come out of any um hardship in that has been one hell of a strong woman someone extremely focused um deeply inspiring and I, I've taken some real gems away from this conversation that I'm going to be thinking about for a long, long time um, in terms of gaining clarity as to who we are as individuals and, and making time to really find that out because it is so important, um, not just to be in society, but just for our own well-being. So thank you so much for sharing some real sort of truths um, with me today. I really, it's just been fascinating conversation thank you I, I really appreciate the the opportunity because i do want i want us all to move forward together wow what an amazing woman the tenacity and the determination that she must have is utterly inspiring and aspirational thank you so much for listening to silence this week if you loved what you heard please subscribe to more episodes and do leave comments and reviews on any other past episodes that you may have listened to. I'll catch you next week and thank you for listening to Silence.